some kind of disturbance. I'm gonna go check it out. We request that everybody stays calm at the current moment. Who are you people? I want a coffee! You, 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 you are now to 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 Where love and life come together. Come together. From the Spacebird Media Studios, it's Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. Welcome to the show. We're Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. You are friends who talk everything Jesus and movies and current events and fun and scripture and love and relationships and work. And have I covered it all? It's like the pizza podcast. We come peace <laughs> to everyone, right? Little pepperoni, <laughs> little sausage, you're good. Of course, we want to say thanks to My Brother's Cup and to Birmingham Mortgage Group for making it possible, kind of starting the weekend on a somber note, the passing of Paul Rubens, who to most of us we know and love as Pee Wee Herman. I don't think I realized just how incredibly funny he was until like all these clips have been resurging of things he did whether it be interviews on late night or it was, you know, cameos on like 227, like stuff that I didn't see then. I just remember the show. I remember the movies and the character, of course, <laughs> you know, that's you know, <laughs> my impersonation for what it's worth. But uh, such, I mean, such an iconic character in our lives and in pop culture. I mean, I, even like Mia, who's 14, my daughter, she's like, Pee-wee's Playhouse is really scary. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> you know, looking back on it, it is. You know, you got a fridge with big eyes and it like talks to you. And so I, I can see, I don't know why it didn't traumatize us, but, you know, this next generation, uh, I guess they'll be watching reruns. Well, we grew up with it, you know, and you're right. Every time he was on Letterman, he was a smash hit. David Hasselhoff was his college roommate, and David's taken this past thing pretty hard. He mm. said that it was hilarious to be roommates with Paul Rubens. You never knew what to expect. He passed away at 70 after a long battle with cancer. I can't stand cancer. Cancer yeah. needs to go. It's so sad. Yeah, he was so private about it. And the thing for me, too, uh, in addition to Pee Wee and that character, he also played the Penguin's dad in the Gotham miniseries uh, based around the Batman, you know, uh, superhero. But then he was also in Batman Returns with Michael Keaton. So for those that saw that movie, you might not you might have to go back and watch it because he's only in it for like a millisecond. But he's got his, you know, his little octical, you know, and then they float the baby down the stream and, you know. Now we know why the penguin became the penguin, but it was like, that's Pee Wee right there. That's it. That's great. So, anyway, so yeah, so uh, praying for his family. And I know a lot of people definitely uh, mourning that loss. We've got some thoughts on being a witness for Christ. The Great Commission. Let's go to Matthew 28 19. Jesus highlighted the need for every Christian to be a witness, sharing the gospel. He said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, the disciples took this very seriously, including the apostle Thomas, who brought the message all the way to India, and that's very far away from Jerusalem. Can you imagine? And back then, it wasn't like you hopped on the bus and got there, you know? Yeah. It yeah. really took an effort to spread the gospel. So several points to contemplate about witnessing. One is that it starts in Jerusalem, which means our immediate environment. Pretty yeah. important. Well, and I love, too, if you read a lot of the characters in the Bible, the area that they grew up in, they left, experienced God's hand in their lives, and then came back 
And then that's how their ministry began. So they experienced how God in other places so that the people that were around in the neighborhoods that these people grew up in, they're like, oh, I, I, I remember this guy when he was a little kid. I remember this lady, she, you know, and so I love that because how many times in this day and age, I, I can speak in a testament to that, to leave and then come home and then be a witness in the neighborhoods and the communities that you grew up in. I mean, that's that's how God calls us. Witnessing is a twofold process. The first part of the process is allowing the love and grace of God to throw to go through us to those that we interact with. That makes perfect sense. And the second part of the process is through the words that we speak. Mm. And you know, if you recall the, the day of Pentecost, boldly preaching a powerful sermon. In other words, do not be shy about sharing what Jesus has done in your life. Yeah. Well, and so much of that, and, you know, be mad at me if you want, but I feel like gone are the days of, you know, you know, knocking on people's doors and do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Like, I feel like those days, like it's about going and grabbing coffee or dinner with some friends and then just talking about what's going on in your life, then making sure that you point out the things where God intervened so that people not only see him interlaced into your life, but then the peace that's over you as you've talked about these things that have happened. That witness within itself shows your trust so that when they see how you navigated some of the similar things that your friends that you're at dinner with are facing, they'll go, you know, I probably really should give this to God. I mean, what an amazing testament for you to be the mirror image of a situation that someone's facing. I mean, that's why we always hear that God takes a mess and turns it into a message. That's not just a cliche phrase. That's legit. That is truly what it means to be a witness. Or as Ace McKay always says, what is God telling you about this? Because a lot of times we go everywhere else but to him. What is he saying to do? And a lot of times when you want to witness, he'll tell you not to. That's happened to me. Or if you're too shy to, he'll urge me to. So it's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Another thing to expect when you're witnessing is that it carries a cost. You know, when we're out in the street, sometimes people are, are very resistant to someone trying to witness or to speak to them or to hand them a Bible. They're like, I'm prayed up. I don't need that. Or I don't need your stuff or whatever. And yeah. But it's nothing compared to the persecution that the early Christians went through. And then our witnessing needs to be empowered by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about us. It's about Him. And to be sensitive to what He's telling you about how to approach someone. You know, the biggest impact on me moving to Alabama, where it seemed like it was every there was a church on every corner and Everyone was carrying a Bible. They were strong Christians, and I didn't know the Lord. The thing that spoke to me the most was the fruit of that person. Were they trying to put me down because I didn't know God, or were they laughing and fun and caring and loving? It made a big difference. Yeah, but the thing, too, that I love about thinking of the the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit helping you to be a witness is so many times we say no or we we linger to say yes because we're like, well, I, I'm not equipped to do that. But he wants us to say yes so that then once we get in that situation, we see all of these things unfold that provide resources or 
you know, the the manpower and the things that are necessary to accomplish that ministry or accomplish that growth in your church. And then you start to see, you know, booms in your youth group and in your small groups and whatever, because here we are coming out of summer. Now's the time to start inviting people to, if you can't get them on Sundays, get them to your small groups, get them to, you know, your theology on tap or whatever it is that can get them into a conversation about God so that they experience your witness and the power of the Holy Spirit witnessing through other people. You mentioned summertime. You may be thinking about, I've got to get the kids in the right school district. How do I go about doing that? How can I save money right now? And we think, oh, houses aren't selling where they are. In my immediate family, they are. And so (laughs) houses are out there, your dream house. Don't just shut down and say, oh, the economy's bad. I need to wait, whatever, because you've got Terrain Newell by your side. Yeah, Birmingham Mortgage Group helping to get you in your home in time for the school year, or maybe you want to be in a new home by the holidays. Now's the time to stop eyeballing and driving by creepily the house that you want to buy <laughs> and actually just make an offer because you've been pre-approved. If you want to find out more about what programs are available to meet your financial needs and to get into that dream home or refinance, you can go to behammortgage.com or call Turin today at 205-259-1656. Now, I met my husband online, so I will never knock it, but boy, it's gotten even more difficult. AL catfish bots have infiltrated the dating apps now. Not only are people asking AI to generate a photograph of themselves, rather chiseled, I may add, (laughs) but they're having it write their bio in hopes that it will increase their chances. They don't want to be boring. So some of these things that AI has written are just so puffy and obviously to me fake, but now people have to wade through wondering if it's even a real person. That's so sad. Yeah. And this is where AI starts to get a bad rap is when it gets used in, you know, where it's used for evil, not for good. Cause the thing I like, and I've seen a lot of the tips kind of trending of how to use AI properly. So say you're, you know, applying for a job, put the job description in the AI bot and it will give you a cover letter that helps to speak well that, you know, you know what you're saying, you know what you're talking about and can help you to plug in, you know, the things that, you know, match your skill level so that you can get that dream job. But it, this is where like, even when like, I think Snapchat now has an AI option and I'm so nervous of that. It's, like copying everything that I say or question that I would have about it. I don't know. It's that that's the wrong app to be putting it in. So to see it taking over dating apps does not surprise me. Yeah. It's just another little wrinkle. So glad you and I are off the market. We don't have to worry for more reasons than one. But I just feel for people now weddings have gotten even more interesting. The new trend is a non-traditional wedding and they have themes now where you dress up as part of the wedding party. You've got Burning Man, you've got the Space Disco Cowboy, you've got Dive Bar, you've got music festival wear where people are all hippied out that come to the wedding. And the experts all say it's part of this drive to make your wedding totally unique and something everybody will be talking about. 
Well, and I feel like that I love these ideas because so many weddings, especially as a wedding DJ, I've seen so many things over and over again. So the big chunks of it are the same. You might have little nuances like the wedding you and I attended just recently, you know, the uh, not the groomsmen, but the um, ring bearers were dressed as security. So they got, you know, a little badge and, you know, a little holster and like, you know, and they're like, you know, walkie talkie kind of thing. Walkie talkie, ask your you know grandpa about that. That's from the 70s. But um, that shows my age. But anyway, but I love the little nuances of those little touches like that. But to have a whole theme, like I've seen like Star Wars themes ones and superhero themed one. Like, you know, when Comic-Con breaks out at your I do's, you know, <laughs> It's like, that's, that's a lot. It's changed. Well, you know me, I'd be all about it. I, I'm all about dressing up and, and going and have fun. Yep. I'd be thrilled with that. Another thing I'm thrilled with, there's a coffee named after me. I still can't believe it. I met the owner of mybrotherscup.com and we just meshed. Something happened. Maybe mm. it was the fact that when he showed me all of these people in Myanmar getting saved right and left. And I just wept through it. He said, I'm naming a coffee after you. I'm like, what? And I got to pick it out. It's wonderful. It has my name on it. It's got butterflies all over the bag. And not only does it taste wonderful, but when you give it as a gift or just gift yourself, mm. you know it sends missions teams all around the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I can speak firsthand as a coffee snob. Like when Roxette's like, you got to try my coffee. And because I love her, I did try it, but I thought there's no way that this is like over the top. And then like before I even took a sip, just the whiff of all the smells like, oh, my, it's like nothing else. This is going to be a great smell. But it was. It's a great cup of coffee. And you can find out more. Go to RoxanneAndAce.com. And of course, when you make your order, tell them you heard about it on Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. A scripture that I've been looking at a lot lately, Romans 12, there's a passage that we've been studying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's Romans 12, 21. Scripture is very clear that through the death of Christ, we've been given the power and authority to overcome the work of the enemy in our lives and to lead others to freedom. And this scripture came alive to me in the last two weeks because you know, we're out there trying to stop human trafficking in the streets. Ace, you spent years with us out there. Yeah. And we're so focused on the women that are being victimized, rightfully so. But across the street walks this man. And he said, I'm pimping white girls all over the street here. I know it's wrong. They're dying of fentanyl overdoses. I'm done. I can't keep doing this. It's wrong. I want to get right with Jesus. He got saved. He said, I'm done. And then trolls on social media had the nerve to say he doesn't mean it. He won't change. He's just speaking words to you guys so you feel good. Right. He wants you to record, you know, him for TikTok or social media. He'll be right back at it the next day. Well, guess what? The girls in the streets say we haven't seen him since. <laughs> and this week, he drives up in his work vehicle with his work outfit on and gets out and says, I told you I'm changed. Mm. 
You can overcome evil with good. Yeah. But here's the thing I love about that, too. <clears throat> to play the one side of the coin, when you make a promise to God, even if you say it in jest, even if you say it in a you know, moment of panic of, you know, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this mess, I'll, I promise I'll follow you the rest of my life. And even if you're good for like a week and then you go back to your old ways, he still got you. He's still holding on to you, and you know you don't get cleaned up in one day. You don't get cleaned up in one year even. You've got a lifetime of hurt habits and hang-ups that have to be undone. But then even for those skeptics, so we flip the coin over and we talk specifically about people who want to judge you where you are in your relationship with God, that is crap. We do not get to, even for those of us that have been believers and we try our best to not be judgmental, I can't look at someone on a Sunday morning or even, you know, at a restaurant on a Friday night and think I know for one second that they're less or more spiritual than I am. We will not know until we get to heaven who was really ready. And you're going to be surprised, skeptics, of how many people beside you that you judged or that you thought there's no way with their actions that they're getting into heaven. Watch. Watch how God works or is already working or has already worked in their lives. And then you're going to go, um, uh, hey, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I judged you on earth. Like you're going to get to that point and it's going to be much more populated than you realize. Oh, I think I think so, too. And, you know, I'm just reminded Christ didn't come here to hang out in the stained glass church where everybody looks pretty and they're in their Sunday best and they're making an appearance. He was with the lepers. By the way, leprosy is coming back. There are cases of leprosy in Florida right now. Mm. He came back to be with the lepers and the prostitutes and the lonely and the different and the short people who had to climb a tree to see him and the people who didn't belong and the tax collectors and everybody that society says, you're not good enough. You, you'll never be there. Those are the people Jesus loves. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Amen. Those I'm are the you. people Jesus loves. So you and... might as well just start to start to like them now. And it could even be <laughs> even with difficult coworkers. And I think Roxanne and I can speak from firsthand what it's like when you have to work alongside, not talking of each other. Well, I don't know. We kind of were. We were difficult to each other at one point, and then. God kind of masked <laughs> over that. If you if you go back several episodes, you'll hear the full testimony. But it it you sometimes we overreact to people who grade us. Like we just let them grind and grind and grind, and then it's like, okay, I'm just going to let them have it, and then they'll leave me alone. But then you miss the opportunity to actually connect and find out why maybe they're that way. Or you know, we talked earlier about your witness. I don't want to blow my character my character in Christ because someone else either doesn't have it or maybe they're just having a bad year. You know, maybe it's just, you know, <laughs> it's a misunderstanding that, you know, could all be cleared up. Well, you, you've hit the nail on the head with what the experts say about trying to understand what's happening to have empathy. You know, one time a guy was scowling all the way down the hall every day and people were trying to get around him. Mm -hmm. And he was going through his wife's cancer. She was slowly passing, and he was so private, he didn't share that. And so then the guilt, people are like, that guy's so moody, stay out of his way. Well, there's a reason. You need to examine your expectations. And this is super important because 
Pew Research shows six in 10 adults say the average working person in the U.S. now has much less job security than they used to. And we only average about five years on a job. You know, it used to be you went to work, you stayed at the same company, you worked your way up the ladder, you got the company watch and you retired. Now it's influx and stress. And so people don't take big friendships to work and emphasize it anymore. That used to be, it was your work family. Now we've gotten further away from that where it's more impersonal because you don't know who's going to be sitting there tomorrow. Sure. Yeah. And I will say this too, if nothing else, even if you don't know how yet to respond to someone or you, you know, the whole, you know, my mom would always say, you know, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That applies in the office. That applies in your churches, even, you know, your ministries, you're serving along people that just rub you the wrong way or in a weird way. And you're like, ah, so kindness is really your best friend. I mean, if you could just be kinder or, you know, find the words or ask God to give you the words when you talk to those people or have to engage with them, especially if they're a boss and maybe they're a little rough still be respectful because they're the boss. You know, God put them in that role for a reason. And until God calls you away from that job or promotes you ahead of him, her or her, you know, who knows when that might be because you are showing better character. You're showing that kindness, that lovingness. Well, and you need to pray because one of my bosses was talking to me about porn as an acronym and it was supposed to be a work lesson, and I didn't like it. And in my head, I said, God, I hate him. Mm. Why do I have to work for him? He's evil, and he's perverted, and I can't believe I have to be alone with him in this room. And I'm just griping in my head while this man's saying things to me that should not be said. And I'm just going on. And the Lord said, have you prayed for him? And then the Lord said, that's my son. Mm. So that doesn't mean take abuse, doesn't mean don't report abuse. But sometimes the one that is our biggest enemy, we haven't bothered to say, Lord, show me what I need to see. Or Mm. I'm going to pray for this person for whatever it is that's causing them to be this way. Amen. (laughs) Well, I know that maybe one thing that might be affecting them is what they eat. Yes. And I found this to be, I was depressed by the story, but if this is true, it explains a lot that French fries could be linked to depression. Yeah, I I thought French fries are instant happiness, joy, right? I mean, we were traveling back from somewhere and stopped through just to get a cheeseburger, and they gave us two orders of fries accidentally. We're trying not to eat fries, but... I said, Wayne, watch it now. You're going to have one, and that'll lead to two, and that'll lead to three. Mm -hmm. But yes, they say, if you eat a lot of French fries, you have a 12% higher risk of anxiety and a 7% higher risk of depression than people who don't eat fried food. And I get, you know, there must be some truth to this, because I never ate anything healthy until my last year of college. Nothing. Nothing green. I hated salad, hated vegetables. (laughs) And I ate salad and I said, oh, that's pretty good. And I ate broccoli. Oh, that's pretty good. And you know, I felt about a thousand percent better. Yeah. 
Well, and I think this is where it goes back to moderation. Cause like when you're in college, you're on the go, you have no money. So it's, you know, it's fries and ramen, right? That's all you have. So, you know, it's, you wrap the noodle around the fries sometimes, sometimes you eat them separate cause you only have the two food groups. So I think the moderation, I'd be curious if that, because like I just had fries yesterday, I was pretty happy. Like I didn't, <laughs> nothing against it. If, if you have an allergic, I'm not saying you shouldn't stop eating fries, but you know, let's just go with, let's go with the small fry instead of the biggie. Roxanne and Ace Unlimited, thank you for being a part of the show. You are in for a special treat right now. A brilliant scholar joins us that can walk us through a number of things we need to contemplate. Our guest is a senior fellow at Southwest Baptist University. He leads the Center for Worldview and Culture, and he teaches courses in theology, apologetics, and C.S. Lewis. I want to take the C.S. Lewis course. Awesome. He and his wife, April, have four children. They're being very quiet right now, or their dad will get after them. His new book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. We're thrilled to welcome to the show, Daniel DeWitt. Hi there. Thank you so much, Roxanne. It's great to be with you guys. So, Daniel, I feel like this is that day and age, especially with social media, that we can lift the veil on, you know, well, Jesus said, well, actually, he didn't, or <laughs> things that we once believed. Yeah. Somehow, you know, it's the whole, you know, tell a secret circle. You tell one person, and by the time it gets back to you, it's like, that's not what I said at all. So mm. what is the most common, whether it's theology or just lifestyle thing that we've adapted that is not even in the Bible? Well, I think the biggest category, I like to talk about two buckets. So the one bucket would be bottom-up information. What does it look like to just start with where we live? Um, so Birmingham, Alabama for you, for me, it'd be Dayton, Ohio. And just what does the world look like from my perspective? And then build out from that, what must God be like based on my lived experience? So that'd be bottom-up. And there's a lot of things we have benefited from, a ton of things with bottom-up information. I mean, bridges, iPhones, the internet, I mean, that's all bottom-up information. We didn't need a God to reveal that to us. We figured that out. Yeah. But on the other hand, the second category would be top-down. And I think the, the biggest, and that would be something God has to tell us about himself. As C.S. Lewis once said, Christians actually believe God told us how to talk about him. And so I think the biggest sketchy view would be thinking that what we must believe about God is primarily going to be formed bottom up rather than top down. It'll be things that we figure out from our lived experience rather than what God has revealed about himself. What are people telling you about their actual experience with God? A lot of people feel like, well, if I read my Bible first thing in the morning, then I'm a good Christian. If I go to church on Sunday, then I'm a good Christian. But that intimacy that's so important may be lacking. And are people anxious to learn how to really know God? Yeah, I think that we we draw from our supplies. And so starting out from read with reading the Bible is great. But if we're reading it carefully, thinking about it carefully, organizing our thought, thoughts about God well, then when push comes to shove, we're going to have a lot of supplies to draw from. I think for a lot of us, what happens is we kind of have that veneer of like, you know, inch deep devotions, which are wonderful 
inch deep is better than zero deep, right? Um, but when we're really shoved into a corner, sometimes when we're drawing upon our theology, if our theology is shallow, then we're not going to have a whole lot to draw from. And so what I think that we all need to do is return over and over again to the Bible to think carefully about what we believe about God. And if we're not careful, we just end up making God look a whole lot like our own experience, or to put it another way, a whole lot like we want God to look like, a God who's okay with whatever we want him to be okay with. Yeah. Well, and I've heard, you know, multiple pastors over the years of my faith uh, saying, you know, the Bible's left for interpretation. But then again, that's also why we have Bible study and Sunday school classes Mm -hmm. is to help us interpret those things. Because I know when I've tried to interpret them on my own, if I'm not in a place to really receive what that verse or passage or chapter may be saying, or even what's really happening in that moment, I do misinterpret it. And then I've got sketchy views Mm -hmm. of how I'm seeing God now for who knows how long. Well, I read this passage and this is what I got out of it. And I applied this to my life and then it fell apart. And it's because I misread, I misinterpreted that. So how dangerous are we in our own heads and quiet times in the morning with our coffee that can be dangerous. I talk about some basic tips in the book for, you know, how to go about um, organizing our thoughts about God well. You know, the word we've used for that is orthodoxy, which means getting God right. The word we've used for getting God wrong is heresy. So in the book, I use the term sketchy views. But one of the things I like to tell um, my students when they ask about, you know, we have all these denominations and it seems like the Bible is just open to anyone's interpretation is to say, well, in some ways you're right. I, mean, I used to be a minister in Nashville, Tennessee. I was a student pastor and we would give people directions based on the number of steeples. You know, we would say <laughs> go three steeples and take a left. And, uh, and you know what that's like being in the South. It's just, yeah. it's, you have a lot of churches. So on one hand, they're right. That's a good observation. It seems like the church is really splintered. But on the other hand, if you go back 2,000 years, the stream of orthodoxy of getting God right is really deep. And it's actually pretty wide. And so almost every major American, since we're in America, I'll use American denominations, yeah. pretty much every major American Protestant denomination is going to affirm the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, these historic creeds that are are all focused on getting God right. So we, on the surface, we're really splintered, but if you lift the hood up, there's a really deep unity that we have in terms of God. And so when it comes to interpreting the Bible differently, I always encourage people, make sure that you're not doing your theology in a vacuum. Um, I had a theologian friend who once said, that when he dies, he wants place on his tombstone. He did nothing new. Mm. Um, as just a reminder that we're really rehearsing to ourselves truths that the church has celebrated for 2,000 years. And so if we come up with something novel, unique, then we've probably gotten a bit off track. Um, and so that's my encouragement to students who are in my theology classes. That maybe we lean into the classics? What do yes, you think I, of, of studying C.S. Lewis, of studying the great scholars and, and learning from them, going back to the core is what you're saying? Yeah, you know, one of my favorite authors, and actually there's a picture of him over my shoulder for anyone who might see the video of this, G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton once said, um, democracy 
is the, and then a rather tradition, is the democracy of the dead. And when we allow voices from the past to speak into what we believe, we're giving them a vote in what we believe about God. And for Christians, first of all, the Bible is our number one authority, uh, but we're doing theology, organizing our thoughts about God, um, standing on the shoulders of great women and men of faith. And we would be fools, literally, we would be fools to ignore what they have to say about God. So when we think too, because it's a conversation that birthed over the weekend, hanging out with family, where someone who doesn't necessarily know much about the Bible, Mm. like he picked up a Bible that just happened to be sitting on the table and he's like, oh, is this the new one? And everyone in the room laughed because he, like he, you know, he has a relationship with God, but he had not really read it to really understand. He's like, well, I know there's Old Testament, New Testament. Is this, is this like the newer and, and so anyway, long story short, for someone getting into God's word and to make sure that they're not getting sketchy views from the beginning, where do you mm. recommend for people to start? Well, so in my book, I, it, it grows out of a theology class I taught where I cover three foundational doctrines. So it's the doctrine of um, scripture and then the doctrine of God and the doctrine of creation. But what I like to tell new believers is probably the Gospel of John is a wonderful place to begin. I often, um, when I have friends who aren't believers and they kind of challenge what I say and say, prove to me God exists or prove to me the Bible, I'll usually just invite them to read the Gospel of John because ultimately I can't prove anything to them because we're blinded by our own kind of preconceived notions, what we would call presuppositions. And so... um, in scholarship, in the academy, since I'm a professor, the term they use, which illustrates that academics really don't always do the hard work of translating what they're trying to teach. The term they use for the simplicity of scripture is the term perspicuity, which is funny to me that we use this really like complicated, archaic word for it's simple. But I would just encourage um, people that the Bible usually is straightforward enough that just a simple reading of it without understanding, you know, kind of the historical context, without knowing the languages, Hebrew and Greek that it was written in, you could get the straightforward meaning of it. Just make sure you temper that with the way other people have read that. Look at some commentaries, um, talk to some other Christians who've been Christians for a while. So I just encourage them. The Bible is a big book, but the message of the Bible is so simple that even a child can understand. And it's so deep that a professor like me and my colleagues can study it for our entire career. And we're, even though we have degrees, we're still just scratching the surface. And one thing I think we need to be careful of is just picking out a particular scripture and we don't know the context. Yeah. If we don't know what was before or after it, it kind of changes the meaning of it. I, I saw a meme not long ago and it said, I could do all things through a verse taken out of context. <laughs> And so, um, you know, I, for me, I, I I tend not to try to be judgmental over someone who has a Bible verse on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker that I know that the context really doesn't mean what they probably think it means. Yeah. Um, you know, in the South, we might say things like God bless their heart. <laughs> right. but, but for me, you know, I'm always thankful that they are clinging to Scripture. But I would want to say is actually the truths you're going to find if you look at the context are going to be greater and more beautiful and even more encouraging than you realize now. And so make sure you're getting it in context because we are prone to just cherry pick the things we like best and ignore 
it's a broader context. Yeah. And if um, you see and if you see a meme on social media, don't let that be the only time you read that passage. Let yeah. it be <laughs> let it be what makes you open the Bible and then read the rest of it. That's good. Well, and we need to get to the truth of things. You know, I think a lot of times we'll we'll really judge someone else's sin and we'll have a verse that may back that up while forgetting our own. It's like taking that plank out of our own eye. We really need to do that. That is so right. And that's one of the things where as a theology professor, it's easy for me to kind of point out errors in my students. But the truth is we all have, none of us have perfect theology. And so this invitation to study God more deeply is an invitation for a Christian who's been a Christian for four decades or someone who's been a Christian for a year or even someone who's not a believer yet. Um, Because the doctrine of God is so deep, we will spend all of eternity really understanding it. Every every passing moment of eternity, if you can even use that kind of language, right, is going to be filled with increasing awe about how great God is. The book is called Sketchy Views. Daniel DeWitt has been our guest, and you can check it out anywhere you buy books. Daniel, we appreciate your insights, man. Thanks for uh, clearing some things up for us. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. And one more odd thing from the world of odd news stories. Of course, it comes from TikTok. There's a famous couple on there that are real penny pinchers. Only one day she went to griping because her partner, (laughs) I just can't believe this, Goes to the grocery store, gets a bunch of bananas, peels them, leaves the peel, and just checks out the bananas because because the peel is 33% of the weight of the banana, and he does this to save money. All right. (laughs) I'm... In in the world of odd news, I think for the first time that it's the oddest thing I've ever heard. Well, first thing I think is the bananas turn brown. Sure. And what do you do with, are you you planning to eat all five bananas when you get home? I guess it's one thing if you're putting them into a recipe, but I I don't, and bananas aren't expensive. Can I add that? I mean- Everything's expensive. If you're buying days. a kiwi or if you want blackberries, I can see where you may, but a banana still is fairly inexpensive. <laughs> see, I like them when they're fresh and any usually after about two days, I'm done. So I either have to eat them quick or I don't eat them at all or make them into a pancake. <laughs> banana bread for everyone. <laughs> it must be the end of the banana bread. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out as always. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And of course, we want to thank my brother's cup and Birmingham Mortgage Group for making this week possible. Roxanne, have a great weekend. I love you. you. Too. Love you too. You've been listening to Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. To make sure you don't miss future shows, you can subscribe anywhere you like to podcast and catch up on anything you've missed. Find out more at RoxanneAndAce.com. Roxanne and Ace Unlimited is a production of Spacebird Media.